0: Well, good morning, and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. Uh, my name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor. We're thankful to be together this morning. Uh, pastor Ray made this announcement. We want to. I want to just say it again. This next Sunday is our great pumpkin bash from four to six o'clock, right here on our on our campus. And I was talking to Melissa this morning. We have inflatables coming in. Uh, we've got some food trucks, we've got games, and really the hope behind this event is that we would get to connect with families and people in our community, that we could invite them to church, they'll get a, a devotional on their way out, uh, they'll hear more about our church, but we, Melissa said uh, we need some more volunteers, so people um, helping manage the inflatables, that should be simple enough. Um, helping with different activities that we're doing. Uh, There's some donations that we're still looking for. And so this is a really important event for us. And so uh, if you could find the sign-up genius that was uh, emailed out in the Friday Reminders, it's also on the website. Uh, We would really love to have everybody helping with this event. We're gonna have hundreds of people here. And our hope is that we could connect them to, to the church and most importantly, to Christ. And so that's next Sunday night from four to six. This morning, we're continuing the the slow march through 1 Samuel. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in chapter 20 this morning. I, hope, I do hope you're enjoying the study. I had somebody tell me this last week. I thought it was a really nice thing for them to say. They said, we come in every Sunday, and, and we are on the edge of our seats, just anticipating the next part of the story. At first, I thought they said, we're just on the edge of sleep every Sunday morning. So that was... Once I understood what they said, that that was really nice. But I do hope you're enjoying the story of 1 Samuel. I mean, it is dramatic, and it is exciting, and there are twists, and there are turns, and we've been kind of in this this scene in 1 Samuel where we're seeing David. He's an innocent man, and he is on the run. And this is kind of the theme that we've seen these last couple chapters, the word that keeps showing up in the text. Over and over again is the word flee. David keeps running. And now in chapter 20, verse 1, David fled. If you remember the last part of chapter 19, he had just came upon these prophets who were, Saul had come upon these prophets who were prophesying and worshiping and and hearing God's word and Saul joined in and David's watching this all happen. And though Saul, the king who's trying to kill him is worshiping, David knows better. Like he knows that this this worship service is going to end and so he is fleeing again. And as I was just thinking about this person's comment who, who really said, who said, I love the story, the chapters of this story. And I was thinking about David just constantly running. The movie that came to my mind, I like movies, was the movie The Fugitive back in the 90s with Harrison Ford. I almost said it was a classic. I don't know if it's a classic. It's Harrison Ford. It's a great movie, but it's, it's an action movie where uh, what happens to Harrison Ford, I forget his name in the movie, but he's just a normal guy. He's a surgeon. And his wife is killed, and and he is framed for doing it, and and this all happens pretty quickly at the beginning of the movie, where they frame him, and he goes to court, and he goes he goes on trial, and and just so quickly he's convicted for killing his own wife, even though he didn't do it, and he's sentenced, he's given the death sentence, and so it just happens, and he's just this. Normal guy, but as he's being transported, you, you maybe haven't seen the movie, but you could figure out where it goes. They have an accident, and he just happens to get out. There's a train coming, and he gets across the railroad tracks. And, and for the rest of the movie, he is, he is running. I mean, he is in sewers and in rivers. He goes through a, a St. Patrick's Day parade. He's in hospitals, he's, using his, he's calling his friends, there's police chases, he steals an ambulance at one point. Now, I don't condone this behavior, but it's, it's pretty clear through the movie, though, in the movie, that, that Harrison Ford's not just avoiding capture in the movie. He's not just running to get away from the FBI, but the movie makes it pretty clear that he's running toward something as well he wants to figure out who has done this to his wife. And so you see this, who's portrayed as just this normal guy. I mean, he's a dad. He's a husband. He's a surgeon. All of a sudden doing these crazy things that you wouldn't expect for him to do. Making fake IDs and breaking into hospitals. And and he has a gun in one scene. And he's doing all these things. Why is he doing these things? He's not just trying to escape. He wants to know, who killed my wife? He loved his wife. He covenanted with his wife. And it is this covenant, this love that's motivating him to be a crazy man, a detective, Trying to figure all this out. And as I was thinking about 1 Samuel 20 and the action story that is 1 Samuel, what is motivating David? Especially what is motivating Jonathan here in 1 chapter 20 to do all that he's about to do with his dad. He's about to put his life on the line. What is the motivation? It's his covenant with David. And so this, this morning, as we look at 1 Samuel 20. That's what we're going to see, the covenant as the centerpiece of this chapter that motivates, compels Jonathan to do everything that he's going to do for David. And so we want to see it in the text, and then we want it to speak into our lives as we live out our covenant with Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're going to read most of the story this morning, starting in verse 1, and we'll go all the way to verse Thirty-four. So on the edge of your seats, not the edge of sleep. I know it's a lot to read, but stay invested in the story. Verse one, then David fled from Naioth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Jonathan said to him, far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David bowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, a city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it'll be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I know that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the fields. So they both went out into the fields. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Verse 18. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon. And you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you've hid yourself when the matter "'was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap, "'and I'll shoot three arrows to the side of it, "'as though I shot at a mark. "'And behold, I'll send the boy, saying, "'Go find the arrows. "'If I say to the boy, "'Look, the arrows are on the side of you, take them. "'You are to come, for as the Lord lives, "'it is safe for you, and there's no danger. "'But if I say to the youth, "'Look, the arrows are beyond you, "'then go, for the Lord has sent you away. "'And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, "'behold, the Lord is between you and me forever.'" So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yes, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why is not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, Saul. Jonathan answered, Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes and our hearts that we might see you in your word, that we would see your glory, that we would see your son, that we would see your grace and compassion and your splendor this morning. Help us as we read this story, this long story about Jonathan and David and Saul and arrows and hiding and dinner, all this story, God, I pray that you would help us to see and to learn how we might marvel at your love for us, that we would leave this place this morning passionate, determined, committed followers of you because you are worthy. And so help us this morning We come into this place and we're tired, we're stressed, we're discouraged, or maybe we're happy and satisfied and comfortable. But wherever we are, however we feel, God, we pray that your spirit will just help us to see you, to see ourselves and to leave here changed. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, the centerpiece of this chapter, the engine behind everything that Jonathan does and everything that David does. It is the covenant that Jonathan and David have made together. And if you remember back in chapter 18, if you weren't here, Jonathan sees David and he sees this, this man is the greater king and he comes before him and he makes a covenant with David back in chapter 18. And the symbol of the covenant, like a wedding ring in a, in a wedding, in a marriage, he, he has a symbol and he takes off his robe and he lays it before David saying, you are the rightful king. You take what I, what I deserve or what is in line for me. Take, take the throne. Take my robe. He gives him, he gives him his, his body armor. Back in chapter 18, he lays it before him saying, I am vulnerable before you. I serve you. He gives him his sword, which just doesn't happen. You don't give your rival to the throne, your sword, but what what Jonathan is doing, he's saying, command me, lead me, I will follow you, I will fight for you. And so this is the covenant. Those are the symbols of the covenant where where Jonathan is saying to David, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. You are greater than I am. And here in chapter 20, Okay, so two chapters later from that covenant, what we see is what, what does the covenant do in the life of Jonathan? I mean, that really beautiful scene of here's my robe and my, my armor and my sword. But now we see the impact of that kind of covenant. Like, what does it cause him to do? And we're going to see it's costly in chapter 20. It's propelling, that's my first point, and it's an anchor. So two points as we work through this passage, the covenant that Jonathan has made for David, it propels him it moves him into action. It, it urges him to do something, but then it also anchors him at the very last scene. And so how does it propel how does it propel Jonathan? Well here's what we see. David is fleeing. We've talked about this. They were in Rama. He, he gets that th- this isn't changing Saul. Saul this is a moment a momentary act of worship yet david knows he is going to wake up from this and he is going to be out to kill me so he runs and he runs again to jonathan this time and there's three questions there in the first verse what have i done what is my guilt what is my sin it's really one question that david is posing to jonathan and it's this question why is your dad trying to kill me Why is he doing this? What have I done? And then you see Jonathan's response in verse two. And just from reading the story, that Jonathan's answer is at first, it's pretty puzzling of an answer. He doesn't doesn't answer his question about why, but instead, what does Jonathan do? I mean, Jonathan's, and this sounds maybe rude to to poor Jonathan, but he seems clueless. I mean, he's like, what do you mean why? Why? My dad's not coming to kill you. Like it's like what are you thinking, Jonathan? How how do you not see that your dad is still trying to do what he's been trying to do all along? I mean just last chapter verse the first couple of verses. I I think I said it this way. They're having breakfast and Saul just says to his son Jonathan over breakfast, "Hey, let's go kill David today." It's like how how has Jonathan forgotten this? But if you remember if we we want to try to explain how Jonathan's not kind of in the dark with what's going on here in in 1 Samuel 20, I think the way to explain it is this, is that Jonathan is still under the impression that the, the vow his dad made in chapter 19 to not kill David, he's still under the impression that he's honoring that vow. Jonathan doesn't show up when David is lowered out of the window in the basket. He's, he doesn't show up when, when David evades the spear again in the presence of Saul. He's not there at Nioth. And so the best that we can kind of do the chronology of this text is saying that, that Jonathan is still under the impression that his dad is keeping his word, his vow to not go after David. And so when, when David says, pretty dramatic, I am but a step away from death. Like one more step and I'm gonna die. I think it's safe to say that that Jonathan is just not tracking with this. Like he doesn't see it. He's confused because he remembers what his dad had said. But then we get to verse four. And to me, this is, if there's one verse for chapter 20, a verse that you should rewrite and it is kind of the theme of our message this morning, it's verse four, even in his darkness and his confusion and his ignorance about what his dad is doing, which I think the text strongly makes that point. Look at Jonathan's response to David. Whatever you say, I will do for you. All right, so just just let's think about this. Circle that. Whatever you say, like whatever, because I don't get The what here. Whatever you say, I will do for you. You talk about loyalty. You talk about faith. You talk about obedience. To to be able to say that, whatever you say, I will do it because it is for you, for the covenant that I made with you, because I love you, because I'm faithful to you. Whatever you say, you just say it, David, and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do it. And my understanding, like my ability to rationalize and put the pieces together of what you're asking me has no bearing in my obedience. I mean, that's a, that, that speaks to us today. That We don't have to... Put the pieces together or understand or to fathom what God is doing to say, whatever you say, God, I'm going to do it. And even if I have no clue why you're asking me to give this or why you're telling me to go there or to do this or to serve this person or to trust you in this situation, I mean, that speaks to us, that loyalty that we see with Jonathan here, even though he's confused, it's encouraging for us. Because this happens to us all the time, doesn't it? We don't understand what's happening to us. There's a family that I've been talking to, the the Nisleys. They're newer to the church, Ben and Alicia. I was talking to them a couple weeks ago after church and they were telling me about their daughter, Bren. And Bren has to have a surgery this Tuesday. But a couple weeks ago, they had this surgery. It had to get rescheduled. And they were telling me about their daughter, Bren, that she's four years old. And that when she was that when alicia was 20 weeks pregnant they noticed an, an enlarged kidney in their daughter called hydronephrosis. and so from her pregnancy they've been watching her, her kidney to see what's going on with it and why is it why is it getting larger and so they've they've watched it and watched it and watched it but now it's gotten bigger and it's not working as well and so they've decided that it is time to have surgery on their daughter. And as I was talking to Ben and Alicia, I mean they, they said that their prayer has been from the beginning, from that first appointment when they were 20 weeks pregnant was, God, let's avoid this surgery. If there's a way, because this is a significant surgery for their daughter, four years old, if there's a way that we can avoid this surgery, God, please, God, please, Help us do that. But now, the surgery is now happening on Tuesday. And she said, though we're not avoiding it, we are trusting God. Though we don't understand it, though it's not what we've been praying for four years, though it's not what we signed up for, our loyalty and faithfulness and obedience to God, we will, we will do it. Because of who he is and because we love him. And so this is the, this is the principle we see with Jonathan and David that speaks into to our own loyalty and obedience to the Father through Jesus Christ. But that's not the only point that I, I think we see as we see what Jonathan does because of this covenant. Okay, The rest of the chapter is this principle that Jonathan is about to put his life on the line for David he's about to put his life his own life and it doesn't matter how costly or how risky jonathan just walks into this situation propelled into this situation because of his loyalty to david and so let's just let me just briefly walk through what happens i mean we read it there's a holiday so when the new moon would come in it would signify the beginning of the month and all the israelites from the top to the bottom would go to their homes and have this sacrificial feast. And it would have been expected for David. He is the son-in-law to the king. It would have been expected that as the commander and as the son-in-law, you go to the king's table. And so Saul recognizes that this is what's supposed to happen. He's supposed to go home for Thanksgiving, but he knows his in-laws are gonna kill him. So he's not too interested in that and so he's he instead of wanting to go home or instead of going home he decides let's let's craft this situation where we can convince Jonathan my friend my covenanted friend I can convince him that I need him on my side, and I need him helping me. And so he creates this whole situation where it will reveal to Jonathan what his, his dad is really thinking, and he tells him, you need to go tell your dad at this meal, when, when I don't show up, you need to tell him, verse six through eight, David went home to Bethlehem. He went home to his own house, and then we'll be able to tell if he's fine with it, Okay then things are good with us. But if he's not fine with it and he's angry, then you'll know that he's trying to to get me. And so just to be clear about what David is asking Jonathan, this is not a true story, right? Or another, this is a lie. David is telling Jonathan, go and lie on my behalf. Okay, so as I thought about that, I mean, I think it's important for us to just consider this for a a minute. I mean, does this give us some new morality with with lying? But I think what's really important to note here, at least here, is that the the Bible, 1 Samuel 20, is just merely describing the situation, just telling us what David and Jonathan did. It's not necessarily perspective prescribing or telling us this is what we should be doing as well. In other words, I don't think this should have been David's game plan. I don't think David should have lied. I think he could have handled this differently. Yet, we know David is a picture of Jesus. He is the coming king. He is the anointed next king after Saul. Yet, we see here, and we'll see if we ever get to 2 Samuel, that he is imperfect. He is imperfect. He 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 messes up. This, this he shouldn't have done it this way. He shouldn't have concocted some lie, but instead he should have told the truth some other way that he could figure out the intentions of the king without having to tell a lie. But this is the plan. And in verse ten. As, as David is telling Jonathan the plan, Jonathan, the light bulb goes off. He says, well, let's go to the field and kind of come up with this, this the way in which I can communicate to you what happens at dinner. So they go to the field and Jonathan, you, you, the light bulb starts to go off for him and he says, I'm gonna shoot these arrows. And if I go above the mark and I yell to the boy, hey, keep going, it's further in the field, that's the message, that's the emergency alert, like get out of town, David, because he is coming after you. And so the plan happens almost almost exactly the way that they've kind of set it up. Jonathan goes to this dinner and, and his father starts by playing it cool, right? He doesn't say anything the first day, but by the second day, Crazy King Saul, he can't help himself. He can't help himself. And so he ends up, he, he speaks out and he says in verse 28, where, where is David? And this is Jonathan's response. David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, the whole thing. David's at home, he's not here. I told him he could go. That's what Jonathan tells his dad. And then we see Saul's response. And it is, it is a sad response. I mean, it is just a testament to what happens when our sin just, it just enslaves us. I mean, he just says like the most awful thing possible to his own son. The text gives a little tra- literal translation. I almost felt bad for even reading it. You son of a perverse. Like, that's like, did I just say a cuss word? Like, this is This is the nice way of putting what Saul was meaning in his heart. I mean, he is just blasting his son and his mother. And then if if you don't think it could get any lower, verse 31, if you want to see addiction of of sin just just gripping you and not letting go, verse 31, he gives another attempt, a, a last pitch on how to kind of rewrite the ship. He says, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me. It's like he's still trying. He's not giving up. Saying being in charge and having power and sitting on the throne that if this is the center of your life, then the only way we can do this, that you can do this, is if you bring David to me and I kill him. And we know what Jonathan's gonna say. I mean, he's, he's dangling the wrong, Saul is dangling the wrong carrot for Jonathan. He has already said, I surrender this to, 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 to David. My power, me being in charge, living life the way I want to, that, that is not the focal point of my life, any longer. And so that, that's, the, that's the story. And at this point, you, you, you would have suspected, or at least I suspected, like he now has enough information. He called him a bad name. He's now angry. Like he has enough information that he could go to David and throw, shoot the arrows past the mark. But that's not what happens in the text. Verse 32, Jonathan answered his father, Saul. Why should he be put to death? Jonathan's not letting go. Why is he doing this? Why did he ask that question? But I think it's because Jonathan loves his father and he sees what he's doing. He wants to convince his dad that there's still time to get off this train Because this is the same question if you go back to chapter 19 when they had the conversation at breakfast and Jonathan convinced him, you don't want to kill David. And he says the same thing. Why would you kill David? I think Jonathan loves his father and he sees where he's going and he's trying to persuade him, dad, don't do this. There's still hope. Don't do this. Yet we see how Saul responds. So I hurled his spear at him to strike him. Now the person that's being thrown at is not David, it is his own son, Jonathan. I mean, what about what a cost, what risk. Jonathan doing all of this for David, why would he do this? Well, the text tells him in verse 8, so we'll back up. It's the word has said it's this loyal love. Verse eight, therefore deal kindly with your servant. John. This is David talking to Jonathan. Deal kindly with your servant for you've brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. The word deal kindly is the Hebrew word hasad It's probably the most significant Hebrew word in the Old Testament. And I don't like the, the, the favor way of translating it. What the word literally means is this loyal faithful love that stems from the covenant that you've made. He's saying, live out of overflow of this faithful love that you have for me. Respond in a way because of your love for me. And so this is the why. Why would he do this? Why would Jonathan do all of this? Because he loved David. He was committed to David. And as you think about that kind of covenant, that kind of Committed love. Where do we see that today? I mean, what's a picture of that for us today that should speak into our commitment to Jesus? And and I don't think it's hard. You don't have to go too far. I mean, it's the covenant of marriage. I just did a wedding a few weeks ago at the Star Barn, and these were the vows that I read at every wedding that I do. Will you have this woman to be your wife to live together in the holy bond of marriage according to the ordinance of God, and will you love her? Comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others. Be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. Forsaking all others. That means forsaking yourself too, not just other men or women. Forsaking yourself in sickness or in health. Committed, loyal, faithful love that says, When you win, I I am content. I will serve so that you can be happy. I will give everything and anything so that you can be comfortable and rest. And this is the picture, that's the, the marriage vow or the second part of the vows. I, Matt, take you, Ashley, to be my wedded wife. I do promise and I covenant before God and these friends to be your loving and faithful husband, for better, for worse. My wor- If my worst is for your better, it's worthwhile. If my, me being poor is for your richer, then it, then it is well worth it. I mean, this is the marriage covenant. I, I remember a story of a couple, Ian and Larissa, watching a, a clip on this couple, and he was, Ian was working to save up money to buy an engagement ring. And, and he was on his way to work, and an SUV hit him, And he had a serious car accident. And he became he became disabled. He can't walk, he couldn't talk. And the whole clip was about how Larissa said, I am covenanting myself to be Ian's wife. Now I'm gonna even though I will be his primary caregiver, and he can't walk, he can't talk, he can't do anything that he was doing before, I am covenanting myself pledging myself to him because this is this is what covenantal faithful love is and in the clip she says he wouldn't have left me I'm not going to leave him this is a she said this is the best picture of Christ's love for us that I can imagine the story of there's there's a, a scripture in acts and I'll close with this I was reading this week and it just I just loved reading the story of acts because I was I was as I was reading about this first church in Acts chapter four, I had this like moment where I realized that this first church is doing almost exactly, not almost, I mean, very similarly than what we are doing every Sunday morning. Acts four, they're talking about David. They're comparing David to Jesus. And as this first church in Acts four is comparing David to Jesus, the question that they're asking is, well, what, Now what do we do? Jesus is like David, he's greater than David. And the question that they're asking as they pray is, well, what does that mean for us? Now the circumstances were different. Peter and John in Acts four had just gotten out of jail. They were in prison, they're they're proclaiming the gospel, they're baptizing people, they're talking about the resurrection. And so very different circumstance, but they get out of jail and they come back to the church and they say, it's a little church service, they're like, "What what do we do now? And so let's stay with me. Acts chapter four, I'll read this and then we'll close. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, so they're about to quote in this prayer, Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together and against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, so now they're gonna take Psalm 2 where David is experiencing this hardship and persecution and the king's setting themselves up against him. They're gonna compare that to Jesus. Verse 27, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So they're looking at Psalm 2. They're saying, Jesus is a lot like David, anointed and persecuted. And then they say, well, how is this going to affect us? Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hands to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to speak the word of God with boldness. What is the the answer for for the church in Acts 4? What was the answer for David or for Jonathan in response to this covenant that he's got with, with David? It was, I will be bold, I will be bold. It is worthwhile for me. It is worth the risk. It is worth the cost because of who I am serving and who I am am putting myself out there for. This is David and what the church is saying here in Acts 4, saying we will be bold in our obedience to Jesus. And the house shook and they kept on speaking. And so this is My hope and my prayer for for you and for me, for all of us, is that as we look at Jonathan's loyalty and faithful love to David, that it would speak light and life into our commitment for Jesus. That we would say that we would act like Jonathan did to David, that we would act like that for Jesus, that we'd be bold. Bold, not just in talking and evangelizing, but bold in our service of our spouse and our kids, bold in our generosity, bold in our in our obedience to him, because he, he is worth it. He is worth it. And the last point, the covenant anchors, and I won't go through this last paragraph, but it's a scene where they kind of divert from the plan. they have a moment to, sh- to see each other, thinking, this is probably going to be the last time that they see each other. It's not, but it, they think it, they probably think it is. And Jonathan says to David, "Go in peace. Go in peace." It's like, how is that possible? I mean, David's about to go act like a madman. He's about to get stuck in a cave. Like it doesn't get prettier, like I said. Couple weeks ago. It's not getting easier yet. Jonathan says, Go in peace, verse 34, verse 42. How can he say that? Because the covenant that that they have, this this faithful, loyal love that they have with one another, it, it transcends the craziness of life. And you can have peace even though your life is falling apart, your world is melting away. You can have peace today because you have the peace of the covenant of this relationship. And it's true for you. This covenant that we have with Christ, though the world falls apart, we, we can have this transcending peace because of what we have with Christ, it it supersedes everything, and it gives us a future that that we can bank on. And so may we see Jonathan, and may we see David, and may we pray, God, whatever you say, I will do for you. Give me boldness. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this story. We're thankful for how you use this story for the the church in Acts 4. And we're thankful for how you can use this story for us today. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see the beauty of the sacrifice of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And as we see that he is a king that went to the cross, may it put us down to our knees to the point that we just, we humbly submit before you. But then as we get up, as we contemplate and con- consider your great love, that we would leave this place with bold, faithful, loyal love for you, just like Jonathan, just like Jonathan. So help us to be bold in how we love each other and how we sacrifice for one another, how we use our words. Give us this, just this desire. Take away this desire that we have for comfort, God, I pray that we'd be, if we need to, that we would get uncomfortable if it means we get to honor and obey and follow you. So God, we sing this song, we give it to you. We pray that you'd work in our hearts and our lives. Amen.